All right. So uh, is it is it time to to panic for Florida State? Yes or no, Josh? Uh, no, I don't think so. We've been kind of telling this story really since December and January. Um, I wrote a story after signing day a couple weeks later saying that this is the direction it was headed and the gap was only going to widen. Um, yes or no, Chris? <laughs> is it time for Florida State to panic? No, I mean, no, no, it's not. Chris? No, panic okay. if they lose games a lot again. All right, so the point of this podcast, and Josh, I do want to get into everything that you were you were just saying, but to set it up, uh, this hasn't been a great month for, for Florida State on the recruiting trail. We talked about this throughout the month of June, that it was slower. Florida State had calculated risks uh, to push recruiting down into July and to try to get guys on campus for Saturday Night Live. And what we're seeing, at least the last couple of days, and you look at our message board, people are freaking out because it, it, you know the ebbs and flows of recruiting haven't been great for Florida State. So that's what this whole podcast is going to be about. Going over the past month, what went right, what didn't go right, and where Florida State is in, in the world of recruiting right now. I'm Brendan Sinone with Knowles 24-7s on the bench. You've heard the voices of Josh Newberg, Chris Nee so far. Fellas, do you want to start off by going over the bad news with recruiting, the good news? Uh, what would you prefer first? Not everybody talk at once now. Come on. Josh, tried to, Josh is, your, uh, is your mic working? Yeah, I'm good. I just said whatever you want, man. You're driving the boat. Oh God. All right. Yeah. Did I hurt, did I hurt your feelings already, Josh? No, we're good. All right. Let's do bad news. Cause apparently I'm cynical. So in the past few days, FSU has, all right, let me make sure I got my notes right. FSU has lost wider. Well, I guess not lost, but FSU was considered one of the top contenders for four-star wide receiver, Michael Redding. He kind of surprisingly picks Miami. I don't think Miami was considered a top contender for him. They were in the mix, but Purdue was someone that was a dark horse. And, and so that doesn't work out well for Florida state at a position of need. Uh, let's see, four-star running back Jalen Knighton, who is a major, major target for FSU. He gets a couple crystal balls in for Ohio State from Steve Wolfong and Tom Loy. They're 91% and 88% in this year's class, so uh, not trending in the best direction. Plus, we haven't heard a lot from Knighton since then. Uh, not hearing that there's a lot of optimism for offensive line target Richie Leonard. He's nearing a commitment date. And uh, defensive end Donnell Harris drops a top five. FSU not in it. Uh, and remember, he he decommitted from Miami shortly after visiting FSU and a couple other schools. FSU at least uh, thought maybe he had an outside chance at him. Looks like no chance at all at this moment. So those are some of the unpleasant developments. Josh, I'll kick it to you. Let's start off with Michael Redding. Uh, was that as much of a surprise as, as maybe the outsiders thought initially? Well, I think it was a surprise for sure in terms of when he he was going to drop his commitment. I think it was a surprise that he chose Miami. If you look at the crystal ball, there was five projections on the crystal ball. Four of them were to Florida State, and one of them was unknown. Um, I None of us on the site had a crystal ball pick in for Redding. Even though um, I thought Florida State was in a good spot, it surprised me. I had never been confident enough to put in a crystal ball prediction one way or another on Redding. I thought it was going to be Notre Dame for much of his recruitment. Once they um, bowed out of his recruitment, I'd say about five or six weeks ago, I thought FSU had a really good shot. Um, they were able to get him on campus, but not able to close the deal. Um, he made a trip. Did he, Chris, did he make it to Paradise Camp? Or was FSU his last I don't know. visit? I, yeah, I'm not quite sure I don't on that. Know. But I don't know if he was at Paradise or not. I don't recall him being at Paradise, but I've also not been the most attentive to recruiting in June because of covering baseball. Right. So, 
Yeah, I think there is some surprise just across the country in general. Um, but is it a surprise the way that this offseason has gone for FSU? No. Yeah, and that's, that's yeah, going to be a common trend yeah. here is, is things haven't gone smoothly for FSU. Chris, your thoughts on Reading? Uh, the biggest obstacle for FSU was always going to be the same obstacle, and that was his desired major, which is a specific kind of engineering that FSU does not offer as a major. And apparently Miami does, and I know Purdue certainly did. I had somebody tell me last week when Notre Dame kind of faded in that recruitment because they filled up at the position or they moved on at the position that Purdue was a legit threat because of the major, that that is the numero uno reason why Purdue was truly in this recruitment. Miami being the pick, somewhat a surprise because the latest thing I was told did not include Miami, but that was always the case concerning the major. From what I understand, Miami does offer that. Are we worried about the wide receiver recruiting board right now, or are we okay where, where FSU stands? Because that was someone who was higher up there. Chris, I'll kick it to you because you've talked a lot about the need at wide receiver. Right now they have one commit right now in Weidman. Um, is is that a big, a big blow based on what FSU has currently lined up? I mean, it's a blow, but if you get Brian Robson and get Arian Smith, you add another receiver, it's not a concern. Skill positions is one of those things where they need to get guys, but I'm not. that's not my point of emphasis. Mine is the trenches. Yeah. They can't come up short at O-line, D-line again in this class and not have some massive issues at those positions. With skill, they need to obviously get skill, especially a year after they didn't have any skill in a class. But I feel like they're still in a position to get enough skill you know don't be, don't be disingenuous chris they have season. chris they they got walk-ons high quality walk-ons skill players in last year's class you need to you need to sign off social media and quit giving a shit what idiots <laughs> good point all right <laughs> josh you and i were talking about this pre-show we're going moving on to Jalen Knighton now uh, and i had this in the bad news category but you were thinking more good news that, that it looks like he'll be at fsu still as the plan on july 27th yeah, that's what he said uh, for July 27th, Saturday Night Live camp, and he's supposed to commit, what, July 30th? Um, mm-hmm. But but So I want to contend that I think, one, two crystal balls for Ohio State, not that it's the end of the world, but both those guys putting in the crystal balls are really real, well-respected and plugged in, and Steve and, and Tom. So I don't think that's great for FSU. And then secondly, uh, we've struggled, our, our website struggled to get a, a hold and, and contact with Jalen Knight and since his visit to Ohio State earlier, I guess last month now. Uh, and that's not common for what the relationship we've had and what, you know, Zach Blostein's had with him. So that I would point out to being kind of a, kind of a, there's some signs there that make me uneasy. And that obviously that's a huge need for FSU. And Josh, I'll throw it to you. But, but to me, that's why I would put that in the, the negative category right now as far as that development. I wouldn't look at the, the lack of content contact as necessarily a negative. I mean, yeah, he might be going to Ohio state, but I mean, I've dealt with kids that I knew for two, three years, Nelson Aguilar, Vernon Hargraves, all these type of kids that were playing on team Tampa that heading into their senior year, you know, they would always talk to me. And then all of a sudden you couldn't get them on the phone. You couldn't get them to return a text. What happens when you're making a decision is you're stressed out. You kind of don't want all these outside influences. You don't need another article out for grown men to go crazy over. Um, so Jalen Knighton could be going through a little bit of that. I'm not going to say that just because he's not, you know, in contact with us means anything for FSU. 
I will say, though, that Jalen Knighton's shown to be impressionable. He's been to FSU twice already, having left FSU each time with glowing reviews. Um, ha- t- takes one trip to Ohio State for the weekend, and, and they come out as his leader. So what does that tell me? It tells me that he's very impressionable on these visits, whether it be FSU, whether it be Ohio State, um, visits make a difference. And if he's going to visit FSU three days before his decision, I'm not freaking out right now. I'm going to wait and see. I'm going to take him at his word. He says he's coming. All right. If he, if he comes to campus on July 27th for Saturday night live, I really like, uh, FSU's chances. So it's so a kind of a case of uh, whoever the last school to get a visit from him is, is probably in the driver's seat based on current history. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the way it goes. And, and remember Saturday night live will be six weeks from his Ohio state visit as well. Yeah. So time to cool off. It, it's Chris, I'll throw it to you. Sounds like, well, it sounds like you need to get night on campus though. One more time to get this thing done. If you're Florida state. Yeah, Josh is correct with what he said. He's a kid that's impressionable. You need to have the last visit. The one concern with Knight and a decision date is that he's had one before and changed it. So nothing says he's going to be adamant to stick to July 30th. And as Josh also said, you know, this is ripe for transportation issues to come up July 27th. And if that happens, well, you're dead in the water. It's just another example of a kid that, FSU's put in a ton of work, a ton of effort, a ton of time, and clearly desires a kid. And they're in a dogfight at the end, and it just seems very tough for them to close on some kids this year. But, yeah, if they do, they do. And if they don't, well, we'll be talking about it on the podcast after July 30th. I can uh, picture our South uh, South Florida listeners right now lining up to uh, to be able to give Jalen Knight a ride up to Tallahassee if need be. All right, let's see. One other thing thing on that. The reason I brought up that we haven't had communication is people always ask us, like, if we're sitting on stuff. We weren't sitting on a damn thing with him. Me and Zach both had tried, and I believe Josh had also tried to get a hold of him, one, to find out on a date of a commitment, and two, to find out if there were any plans before that commitment. So basically exactly what we got out of the opening interview when he arrived in Frisco, Texas. The only reason I shared that is just, I like being completely clear on things with people of how we're going about trying to do the business. And, you know, Knight's a kid that we had contacted multiple times. I sent DMs, I called, I text. Since his visit to Ohio State, he was unresponsive. But he's never been a a type that answers on the first ring. He's not that kind of kid. He kind of keeps to himself to some degree. He doesn't like doing a lot of interviews. I think a vast majority of the interviews we've done with him have been in person. So, just to kind of go behind the curtain and let people know how it is with him. Do I think it's concerning he's not answering? To a slight degree. Do I think it's a reason to raise the red flags and move on to the next running back? No. All right. Richie Leonard is next on the list here to talk about developments that aren't so positive for Florida State. Josh, you put in the crystal ball for Florida, what was it, a week or so ago at this point? And and just to go off of that, uh, since then we've seen another Florida crystal ball go in from John Garcia. Let's see. Richie Leonard's commitment date is supposed to be July 5th. So that's coming up this week. Right now, I put in a crystal ball for Tennessee because I heard that Tennessee was a school that that he's telling people could be in the mix. Uh, but right now, I don't think Florida State feels great about it, regardless of where he ends up going. I'm I'd be surprised at this point if it's Florida State. Josh, what are your thoughts on Richie Leonard and that development of his recruitment? Yeah, that's kind of my opinion. Um, I did put the crystal ball to Florida in before the visit to Tennessee. Right. So. 
Um, the te- I, I do believe that Tennessee is a real factor right now. Uh, definitely trending probably more positively than Florida State is. I don't know if there's really much more to add on my Richie Leonard take from the last pod where, you know, I just pointed out the visits and the importance of those and um, the lack of, you know, FSU held a big man camp and, and that's typically where you see these guys work out that end up committing or signing with Florida State. So just not getting them on campus in June, I think is, is maybe the difference in landing him. And yeah, we can always say with these kids signing day isn't that far away, but it seems like we're saying that a lot lately. I mean, signing days of a, a long way out and things could change, but it feels like we've been saying that a lot lately. Right. I, I agree. It's kind of a weird, uh, that's been a weird recruitment where FSU seemed to be in the driver's seat and then it kind of falls in line. And I think kind of paints a picture of, of all of June for Florida state, which is just not getting enough high quality guys on campus. Not to say they didn't get any, but, but you have main targets that you weren't able to get to come see you. And that's, that's obviously proving to be at this time problematic. Uh, so, so we'll see how that goes. And if FSU, has waved the white flag or if there's any anything else that they can still do there. Uh, let's see. Final development here. Defensive end Donnell Harris drops the top five. Remember, this is a kid who was committed to Miami. Was the top-ranked player. I think our top-ranked defensive end in 2021. Reclassifies and uh, he puts out a top five. FSU not in that top five. Chris, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but, but just something that, again, trying to get some sort of semblance of momentum and it's not really developing for Florida state and with these big time, you know, five-star blue, you know, blue chip prospects. Yeah. FSU was part of his bus tour with his high school group and they went to several SEC schools and a few ACC schools. You look at that list, it's the SEC, you know, powers of Alabama, Georgia, I'm saying that from a recruiting standpoint. And then you got the ACC power Clemson and you mix in there, what CO2 Auburn and Texas A&M. Yeah, it sort of is uh, the have and the have not right now in recruiting. FSU's a have not. All right, well, let's just stop eating popcorn. I'm eating a muffin. Ooh, what kind of muffin? I'm the muffin man. The muffin, muffin man. The muffin uh, man. Vegan blueberry muffin. Oh my god! All right, oh, look at you. Fresh I'm not a vegan, dark. but I do like this muffin. Vegan pastries are actually, uh, if you're going to go vegan, that's probably one of the, the better. Uh, uh, really never mind. I already got made fun of for veganism on the message board um, this week. Chris, I want to talk. You, you were saying FSU's the have and the have nots. And I'm, I heard when you were breaking down the wide receiver board, you were, I wouldn't say penciling in, but you, you know, you think Arian Smith and Brian Robinson are still good possibilities. Yeah, I, I think there's a better chance they end up at FSU than not as compared to other targets on the board. Okay. All right. Now we're going to go big picture after the break, too, because I think that I, I get a feeling I know where Josh is headed with that, and we'll we'll discuss it. Let's go real quick, though. I don't think you know, Brendan. You, you don't, I don't think, think I know? know. No. Okay. Well, how about, I don't know, how about, you know what? Let's transition. Where were you going with it? Let's see if I was correct or not. Oh, I don't know where I was going. That's fine. <laughs> so it's impossible that I could have known if you didn't. Know. Right. Fair enough. All right. So some positive developments because I don't want to be accused of being negative. Uh, let's start off with commitments. They got two of them. And I was trying to lay this part because I don't know how I'm going to pronounce this kid's last name. Does anyone want to help me? Help me. Which one? Well, I can say boat ride. Yeah. <laughs> Chris isn't going to Chris isn't going to try to help. <laughs> A cabbage. A cabbage. Yeah. Okay. 
Alex Akavich. Nice. I should have asked you before we started recording. So FSU gets a commitment from Alex Akavich last week. He's a three-star offensive lineman. Uh, was close to, what was it, Rutgers, to committing to Rutgers right before FSU offered? Yeah. The yeah. little bit of the backstory here. Um, I think it was Rutgers and UCF uh, that I talked to Brian Doan, who's our Northeast um, recruiting analyst, and he's familiar with Alex. Um, he had told me, like, he, he called me up real quick, kind of in a panic, saying, hey, man, FSU just offered this kid. I've been talking to him. He was going to commit to Rutgers on, you know, whatever upcoming date. He's like, I really think that this is, you know, he's going to commit to FSU. Is he a take? Is, does this offer mean he needs to, like, he was just asking me all these questions. Um, and he got back with Doan and said, this is a big offer. Everything's on hold. Well, things started rolling and I talked to a source within the, the walls at FSU and was told that there was communication, uh, occurring with Willie Taggart to figure out if he was going to be able to commit now or if they need to see him in camp. Um, I guess what was agreed upon cause he committed was that he was going to give his commitment now and then attend camp in July. So that's how it went down. Um, we 24 seven sports got to see him at a Penn state camp recently. Uh, that's where he was evaluated. I, I take it. So he's, he's on the radar. He's not a complete under the radar type of player. And he's also at IMG Academy now. So the rest of the world gets to see him. Um, Chris, any, had you ever heard of Alex prior to the day he committed? Uh, I heard of him the day before he committed because FSU got involved and I asked around on him. The the theme with him was pretty consistent. He's completely a developmental type. He has long arms, good work ethic, but he played really bad competition and his development had been somewhat stunted by the area he comes from with regards to the school just not being kind of the football place that works hard on developing a kid. That might change at IMG. I I don't like with the take of it, I think they need to take offensive linemen. They need to stockpile mm-hmm. offensive linemen. You know, they need to get that kid in, work him out, see him in person, watch him during the season, keep evaluating him, even though he's a commitment. If it pans out, then awesome. Then you were ahead of the curve on it. If it doesn't, you gotta make sure you have plenty of options because that's a position and an area where you just you gotta stockpile good bodies at this point. So I'm not going to complain that they got an O-line commitment. I'm also not going to turn them into the second coming. And to uh, to Chris's point with development and being at IMG Academy, this is someone who has reshaped his body in a pretty short period of time. I mean, I guess it's been, well, maybe not a short period of time because it started more than a year ago, but since he's gotten IMG, you've seen his you know the tr- physical transformation. He's down to 285. Uh, Clean-looking kid, apparently faster, more athletic than he was even a few months ago. So, maybe a positive development in terms of what he can become. Like Chris said, maybe they're ahead of the curve a little bit. The other commitment was from tight end Carter Boatwright was a kid that we really frankly didn't know much about uh, at all. When he committed, he's a three-star tight end now from, uh, from Colquitt County uh, Moultrie. And uh, yeah, I mean, he looks good. I actually likes his film uh, <laughs> more than, yeah, I got more excited over him than, than I did the offensive line commit. To be honest, I thought that, with Boatwright, he looked the part. He was a, a big guy who could move downfield and and adjusted the ball well. Had natural receiving skills, but they bring it. They're bringing him in to be a blocker, just a straight up mean, nasty blocker, kind of in the mold of a Ryan Izzo. Kind of when you watch him, that that's what he looks like. Be more of an inline guy. Chris, uh, what were your general takeaways from the Boatwright commitment? That was surprising to you too, right? 
Yeah, I mean, initially I was like, who the hell is that? Um, that's some of not being at June camp to the baseball. I didn't get to see him, didn't get to learn about him, and I didn't know of him last year. Apparently he's fairly new to football. He's been a baseball kid most of his life, pretty good pitcher from what I was told. And he's transitioned to football here in recent years. His body's really coming along. I know people really like that a lot about him from a uh, evaluation standpoint. I, I love him as a blocker. I, you know, compared to what they were looking at the tight end position that they could have gotten or they were pursuing earlier on, a guy like Sejanis, he's the best blocking one of that bunch. He's not as athletic down the field as someone like Sage, but he's capable enough down the field to be effective in the passing game. So I actually, you know, for a kid who was completely unranked and unknown, when I watched the film, I liked him. I I don't I think that's the best of the two takes this week personally. Plus it's tight end. You're looking for a specific set of skills that fit what you want to do in your offense with tight end at FSU. It's not about this well rounded, super versatile player. You're looking for either a guy that can get vertical and get down the field like a big receiver, which you have like a Cam McDonald, or you're looking for an in-line, six-lineman blocker. And Boatwright, to me, is much more the second one of those, which is line up there, put somebody on their ass, and help the running game or quick passing game by being an additional blocker, a six-lineman. I think he's very valuable in that regard. I feel the same way, Chris. I like him. Anything, Josh, to add on, on Boatwright? Um, I think you know, this is, this shows them just kind of hammering home the fact that they really wanted a tight end, um, early in the cycle, we saw them offer kind of the top tier guys. They came off the board. Then it was say Janice and Lou Dorsey. Those guys come off the board, but they keep grinding and they find Carter Boatwright at their camp. They got to evaluate him in person. We like that. Um, and Hey, they needed one. They found a guy they liked. They went after him. They got the commitment. That's kind of what it comes down to. I will say, like, I think a strength of the staff is that they, they evaluate well. I do think this is a good staff when it comes to evaluation. I think they know what they're looking at at a very high level. I think you can, you can question some of the timing of, of offers and, and stuff like that. But, and clearly right now, some issues with closing, which is coming with being five and seven. But, but someone like Boatwright's a good example of, of finding someone who is kind of under the radar the issue is you can't take too many of those kids because uh, I think statistics would show over a period of time that when when you're taking risks that that ends up uh, ends up becoming problematic in your overall roster development. You don't get enough enough pure talent on there, but you could take one or two of those guys per class, feel okay about it. Again, the issue is you can't end up taking too many. In, in FSU's case, the last two commitments end up taking are the the lowest ranked guys at this time in the class. So. Uh, we'll talk about more of the fan reaction and kind of the perception and optics of FSU. Uh, but real quick, a few more positive things. Quarterback commit Jeff Sims is over at the Elite 11 right now in Frisco, Texas. Apparently, he was really, really good the first day. Dropped down a little bit on day two. Um, Chris, not a surprise, right, with with Jeff Sims. And that's kind of what we've known is that he's got a big arm, uh, that he's going to look pretty good in most camp settings, uh, have some ups and downs. But that sounds exactly like what we've we've seen from him so far in the Elite 11. Yeah, he's one of 20 quarterbacks out there. Elite 11, the group that runs at the camp, the counselors, the organizers, they ranked him number six after day two, which was Sunday. He's doing well out there. Um, I think the biggest thing with Jeff is that he's showing continued signs of development, and that's the most important thing. He's filling out his body. He's got that big natural arm. He sometimes try to, tries to throw it too hard. You know, Sometimes he doesn't just take what's there. And he said he tries to go – showing off the aggressiveness that he can't have with that arm. I think that's the one 
think he's got to continue to kind of pull back on understanding when to make what kind of throw all the time. But that's completely normal with a high school quarterback who's got a big arm. They're going to want to exhibit that. That That's their alpha trait. They get obsessed with it. And he just has to understand that sometimes, you know, the little dump down soft pass that you put on the fingertips is just as good as if you nailed a whole shot 40 yards down the field, down the sideline. So he's done well there. Um, obviously, they still continue to grade that through the opening, which gets going today. So he has another three days of competition, technically in the Elite 11. We'll see where he settles in. But I think he's going to end up in that upper half of those 20 easily. I think he has a good shot of being a top five, six type guy when it does settles on the week. He's, he's a very good quarterback in this class. There's very few in this class who I would take over Jeff Sims. A guy like Haynes King, a guy like Hudson Carter is probably two of those. But there's not a whole lot. I like Jeff a lot. I think Jeff's a guy whose best football is ahead of him. Another example of, of FSU staff being good at evaluating this is a kid who was a mid-tier three-star when when they offered and took the commitment from him and, and his stock has continued to rise and he continues to develop into a better quarterback. Uh, Josh, I'm going to throw it to you now for the last two guys. First, uh, well, let's start off with five-star defensive end Reggie Grimes. He checked in at the opening and, and apparently FSU's in it for him more than we thought, at least to get to, uh, to get to the point where we're setting up an official visit, right? Yep, definitely. Uh, Reggie Grimes checked in at the opening and, um, I, I reached out to Hank South to, uh, speak with Grimes for me. And the basic rundown on Grimes is that he has two official visits set right now. That's going to be Alabama and Tennessee. Those are both in season official visits and he's already taken one to South Carolina. That was at the beginning of June. So he has two official visits left. Um, he says FSU is going to get one. Here's the quote. We're still working on a fall on our fall break dates, figure out when that is. And I'll probably visit when, and that's probably when he'll visit. So, um, I do think he makes it back to FSU, but right now I'd probably put my crystal ball on Alabama. Um, if it's not already, it might be with maybe LSU in there in the second spot. I don't think FSU is going to land him. Um, he's been to Alabama more than any other school this off season. And there's one visit weekend remaining this summer, and that's going to be in July. And Reggie Grimes has a scheduled unofficial visit back to Tuscaloosa for their cookout. So um, I think the writing's on the wall with Grimes, but we'll continue to cover him as he continues to have interest in FSU and says he's taking a visit. Um, Grimes also came out and said that he'll make his final decision on November 2nd. Originally, it was thought he'd do something on signing day or one of the all-star games, but um, November 2nd is going to be his decision date. You he's an Alabama legacy, just to add that to the conversation. Yeah, you know, he, he's got strong ties to Alabama. I think we've kind of made that abundantly clear through the through the months of his recruitment. But, you know, he keeps on mentioning FSU, and they're they're likely going to get a visit. So uh, we'll keep up, we'll keep tabs on him. And then you asked me about Keziah Holmes. Um mm. John Garcia wrote an article on Keziah saying that FSU is going to get the final visit before his summer decision. That's great news. Um, he's going to make his decision on August 9th. The crystal balls have been rolling into Penn State. Um, Penn State still has a good bit of momentum. He was very high on them when talked about them at the opening. But with FSU, if, if they do indeed get that final visit, on July 27, you know, you got to like their chances. They've proven their ability to close on kids during big visit weekends. 
Kazai Holmes is a player uh, recruit that named Florida State his leader coming out of the spring game. Um, it wasn't until an official visit to Penn State in June that kind of changed all that. So he makes it back on campus June 27. You know, I, I, I'm feeling good about that one. What about you, Chris? I don't feel great about Kazai. I was told he really liked Penn State and wanted to commit on the visit and that he was told to wait basically by family members to take a little time before he jumped in the boat. So I, uh, I think that one's trending pretty heavily towards James Franklin at this point. Name of the game is you got to get him on campus, right? And I think that's the big takeaway from this past month that, that we've seen get the guys on campus and you build some momentum. Uh, and then you, well, let's take a quick break and get into some big picture stuff. And, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll do that after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG. All right. So we started off the podcast, guys, by me presenting the question to you. Uh, is it time to panic yet? You both said no, not time yet. Uh, Josh said a little bit more than that, but that that's fine. Uh, what I guess I want to get to, if you go through and look at our message board right now, and I know this is typical of message boards is people freak out when things aren't going well, uh, but it seems like the last few weeks or even few days were a reality check for FSU uh, in terms of where they stand in the grand scheme of things. So, so right now, based on what we've seen with these developments, where FSU stands with this past June not being all that fruitful, uh, is this a matter of just ebbs and flows with recruiting? Or to you guys, is this kind of a confirmation of where FSU stands in, in the grand scheme of things in the world of football right now on the recruiting trail? Both. They, yes. they need to win football games. And obviously, obviously that's not happening down to being, right now. I don't want to boil it down to being super simple, but it's pretty simple. They're, they're not an appealing product right now. They, they have not been very good on a football field in the last two seasons. They underwent a coaching change. There's nothing about the current direction of the program that, you know, it's all, I want to jump into that. I want to jump on anybody that's currently jumping on. And you heard this a great deal with tribe 19 is I want to turn it around. I want to be part of something special in the future. It wasn't about the current. It was about the hope of the future. Hope's tough to sell when you went five and seven to a group that thinks it's now your product. Tribe 19, you were able to sell the, this was year one. He was transitioning when you're in year two, getting ready for year two, it, there has to be signs of progress. So I think a lot of guys are waiting for signs of progress that do want to be part of Florida State. But there's also plenty of guys who don't want to wait for signs of progress. And those are a lot of, a lot of the guys that we're seeing come off the board and go elsewhere. And FSU, there's plenty. It's a deep-ass question. FSU has done themselves no favors with June being essentially a dry month for them where they were not near as effective as they probably should have been in a recruiting standpoint. There's plenty of things they could do better with trying to improve their odds 
But at the end of the day, ultimately, they need to show progress. If they win and have success on the field, recruiting will follow. It doesn't matter who the hell the head coach is. Recruiting would be more successful with more wins at FSU. It's sort of how the product works. you got to make it appealing. Willie Tegger is a good recruiter. He's an effective recruiter, and I'm talking about in the sense of relating to kids when they're on campus and them liking him. With a good product and that combined together, I think they can be a much more effective recruiting tool. Their best recruiting team that didn't make a bowl last year, that's like being the tallest midget. It's not all that great. But my point more so is that they're doing as well as they can coming off of 5-7. People just need to accept that this is the reality of the situation. They are not very good. They are not very appealing. What is there that FSU has to sell beyond trying to make a pitch that's going to help them beat out guys that you're pursuing that are choosing other options? And I hate to say it, but, you know, Michael Redding, people lose their mind over that. That was going to be a tough win because of the major. There are reasons with every single example. Does FSU need to close better? Yes. For FSU to get better, they need to acquire more talent. The talent of the roster is currently going in a negative direction. They need to turn that around and put it in a positive direction. They need to improve the O-line and the D-line. There's so many things they need to do. But people need to take a deep breath, accept that it's a reality, Pray to God they beat Boise and show so, some signs of direction when August, September, and October rolls around, and maybe they can close before December in the early signing period with a better class than they currently have. I'm going to shut the hell up now. That was that was good. I like it when when you get passionate and all hot and bothered. Uh, Josh, you said both uh, to the the question I presented about seven seven minutes ago. You're muted. Your mic is muted. I'm oh, sorry, yourself. Chris was talking for a while. What was the question again? Because I did say both. I just don't remember <laughs> what I said both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was this past month and then basically the lack of uh, momentum a uh, matter of ebbs and flows with recruiting or more of a an overarching theme of where FSU stands in the world of, of recruiting and, and the perception right now? Well, I think it's a little bit of both because this whole offseason has kind of been an ebb and a flow of a downward trend. Um, the story that I wrote, has uh, it been more ebb or flow? It's more, it's been more of an ebb. <laughs> I don't know what an ebb is. <laughs> what is an ebb? <laughs> um, and the story that I wrote last week kind of said that was kind of the overall gist of it is like, things are bad and they're not going to get better really until they can go win some games. So that would be FSU's chance to make this thing flow instead of just ebb. I don't know. Um, it could be that the season doesn't improve, you know, they win seven or eight games and we kind of just ride off this mediocre class into the sunset, or they could win nine games. Dare I say 10, I mean, you know, that's very uh-huh. optimistic, but even just, just nine games, I think would give them that kind of jolt that, Hey, things, things are trending in the right direction now. And it's an easier sell and it's easier for the staff to do what they do, which is host kids on visits and get commitment. So, um, yeah, it could be a little bit of both if they, if they can do it on the, on the field this year. It's a if, big game. And that's where we're at too, guys, right? Is we've talked about this before that things aren't getting a hundred percent turned around or even 70, 80% turned around until you can show it on the field. Right. And, and, and August 31st just feels like such a long ways away right now, even though it's a month and a half. Yeah. And to, um, kind of go off of what Chris was saying. Chris said a lot of things. Chris did say a lot of things. It, if the staff can do what they do at the end, 
and, and regain momentum and prove to these kids with their message on the field, then we know that they have the ability to turn around. Even still, I don't know if they can get this class inside the top 10 right now. It would take a lot of work. It would take a lot of flips. Um, depending on flips late is, is a risky move. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the strategy. It's just kind of, it's what's happening. That's right? the reality. Yeah. So these kids, you know, everybody says, well, if we win, we'll have a chance to flip them late. But these kids aren't picking other schools because they're waiting to see FSU turn it around. These 2020 kids are picking other schools because they genuinely like these other schools. They're not necessarily waiting for FSU to turn it around just so they can jump on the boat. I think that because of that, it, we're not going to see this massive flip festival taking place in December or January. I think they're going to make, if they do win eight or nine, they'll flip a few. It'll be a respectable class somewhere between 12 and eight, somewhere in that range. Um, but it, this thing's a long haul and they got to get at the end of the day, they got to get the talent trending back in the right direction. You have to improve the roster from year to year. And I don't know if we're seeing that with these recruiting classes so far. No, right now FSU is ranked 15th. Uh, May wasn't that long ago. <laughs> Just uh, you know, again a month and a half ago, FSU was in the what the top five at one point, and they were red hot on the recruiting trail. Uh, so I guess it was April, and then they got Jane uh, McCluster in May, and then since then, you know, it was pretty quiet until this this past weekend. So you go through all of June. Chris, you touched on the recruiting strategy with June. That's something that Josh and I have talked about on the podcast, but I don't think you and I have gotten to talk a lot about it uh, because you were you were doing the baseball thing. With that strategy that they had to not you know, have official visits and not getting a bunch of big-time names on campus, what does that do for them now heading into July with, with Saturday Night Live coming up later in the month? How important, I guess, is, is July for them? And they've kind of put themselves – they back themselves in the corner, I guess, is, is what I'm getting at with, with recruiting in the offseason here. It's odd, but it's almost the way they want it. They want – Saturday Night Live to be the focal point. Now, do I personally agree with that? No, I think you try to make multiple focal points, but they want Saturday Night Live to be that. If they execute Saturday Night Live and say, you know, they add Knighton because he shows up, they add a receiver, you know, someone significant that we've talked about, they improve the O-line, they get a DN, you know, oh, it looks great. It's a huge win. The concerns for me, and going back to the June recruiting philosophy, is that by putting it off, you're also narrowing your options because a lot of guys come off the board from when the dead period begins to when you get to Saturday Night Live. And I just don't think FSU can afford to have limited options. They need they need a lot of things. It's not like they're – they can't be ultra-selective. They need multiples of the same thing, offensive tackles, a couple more receivers, a couple of running backs. So as those options narrow leading to Saturday Night Live, you're kind of creating – even more pressure on yourself for that individual date. So I don't love it. I think the philosophy would have been better to have something big in June, something big in July, just because you have so many kids that come off the board within that month in between those two when the calendar's dead. Correct me. Well, help me figure this out, guys. Did FSU last year, we kind of had a similar conversation about Saturday Night Live and whether that strategy was going to be fruitful or not and ended up having a ton of recruiting momentum did they get actual commitments on saturday night live i'm trying to remember i don't think so i i'll talk uh, my head i don't think it produced a lot of immediate commitment 
it gave right. Gary a lot of momentum. They were in a good right. spot with a ton of kids, and then boom, the season then, goes. And then Virginia, wire. and then Virginia Tech happens. Yeah, right. But it, it, I mean, they Saturday Night Live last year was, in my opinion, a very big success. The issue is that for it to be kind of the pathway to putting together an insanely good class, you need the combination of the season to be good. And that didn't happen this year. Saturday night live is one about getting guys on campus, but they're going to have to back that up with a good season. At the end of the day, this conversation is always going to come back to, they need to win games. They need to show positive momentum as a program and that they are turning it around, creating a different way of winning games at FSU with different kind of kids and different kind of teams for guys to buy in. So right now where FSU is standing, that's 15th nationally in the recruiting rankings, uh, but more so as we talk about some top prospects going off the board, some misses, having to take some risks and, and start digging into under the radar guys at this point in the process. Josh, I'm going to ask you this first, and I do want Chris to, uh, to weigh in too. Do you get the feeling that FSU is is comfortable this FSU as a staff, as a program, is comfortable with its standing right now and believes it's going to get things going in the right direction? Or is there a little bit of apprehension? Like I, I just I can't imagine that this was where they wanted to be heading into July. No, I think as with anything, you know, you look at this as a job because it is a job that you paid a lot of money to do so. And in a way, it's a sales job, at least recruiting is. Um, and if you spent all this, if you were in sales and you spent all this time on the road, um, building relationships, trying to figure out who your next target is, um, phone calls, text messages, emails, all that kind of stuff throughout the process, only to see them come off the board seemingly you know, every week. It's another chunk of guys that you spent time, money, and resources on coming off the board. Of course, that's frustrating. Um, they targeted these guys for a reason early on because they thought these were the best football players that could help them turn around their, their situation and seeing these guys come off the board one by one has to be frustrating. Um, but they, you know, this is a job they'll keep going, they'll keep working hard. They'll keep evaluating, keep turning stones over. And, you know, eventually we're, we're not in any concern that they are not going to sign, you know, 20 to 25 players. I mean, that's not even in the realm of possibility. They're going to get guys. Um, and they'll just, you know, they'll just keep, working keep pressing on and if need be keep finding new targets i think FSU's comfortable with it in the sense that josh just explained it's a job that it's a constant grind you recruit until signing day both the early and late one and then you turn your focus to the next group so you don't really think about it i think the direction is probably a bigger concern just because they know there's needs they need to get guys on the front lines of both the offense and the defense and that, to this point in time, has been a struggle. And it's a struggle not in the sense of guys not committing. It's more a struggle in the sense of who are the guys who could potentially commit. Mm-hmm. Like we've talked about, at running back, there's multiple guys. There's Toa Philly, there's Holmes, there's Knight, and at receiver, there's multiple guys. There's Robinson, there's Smith, there's others. You know, they've got their tight end, they've got their quarterback, they've got their DBs, they've done a good job at linebacker. So they've met needs at those positions. But you look at O-line and you look at D-line. At O-line, they're sitting at two commitments, but they still have major needs. They need a ready-made offensive tackle without a shadow of a doubt, and they need some developmental types at that position too. At this point, it could be argued that they may not have an offensive tackle in their class. 
it's not clear if Zane Herring or Alex Akave, Akave, is that how you say it, Josh? It's not sure. clear if either of those guys will certainly be a tackle. I think both are capable of being tackles, but they're more kind of multi-position types to a degree. And then on the D-line, we've talked plenty about how the defensive end position is one that seems to be trending in the wrong direction. And it's tough to kind of look at this year's class and be like, oh, they're in a good spot to get this guy who can step in and be their next potential Brian Burns type. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's more, if I'm them as a staff sitting there, I think that's more what I'm concerned about than anything. Like the ranking is the ranking. 15 is not great, but they're truthfully not that far from being 10 either. I think one solid commitment right now would swing them up towards 10. So that's kind of one of those things where those numbers can be played with. It's not like late in the process where a single commitment might move you a spot up or down type of thing. There's going to yeah. be bigger swings currently. Um, I think it's more about meeting about needs, that. addressing needs. And I think there is some concern at certain positions about being able to effectively do that. Yeah, I think the average, though, for people that like to harp on that, well, the average is good. That's because they, they don't have any offensive, you know, they, they still have three offensive linemen to land and they still have a handful, you know, four to five defensive linemen to land. And I think all those guys right now are going to be kind of on the lower end of the ranking. So I'd be hesitant to really harp on the rank on the average ranking until we, we see how they fill out the offensive and defensive line. Cause we know a guy like Jalen Knighton could commit tomorrow and bounce up the, uh, the, the average ranking a whole lot. But if you, once you fill out those three spots on the offensive line and four or five spots on the defensive line with, you know, I don't see many top end kids filling those spots that I think that's where the average is going to really take a hit. Can, can I ask, I have a question about the offensive line recruiting specifically. And it's been bugging me for like two weeks now. And I, I, we talk about it a little bit. Are you guys weirded out that they're not able to attract more top tier offensive linemen given the, given the need there, given the possibility for early playing time, given that they have a, a pretty established offensive line coach. Like uh, to me, it's just, it's weird. Like I would understand if other positions were falling short and there were other blue chip kids who were waiting to kind of buy in until you see what FSU does this season. The lack of traction on the offensive line has, has been perplexing and I don't know well, what to make of it. I think one thing, I think that ha- let me see. <laughs> I'm going to say something right now that I think is, is, is what we, you know, we've given it some time, but I think Randy Clements is not an ACE recruiter. I'm not saying he's a bad recruiter, but he's clearly the type that's going to need this program to turn around before he can really attract top tier guys. We didn't know what to expect when we got him. You know, a lot of people, some people said he was going to be an ACE recruiter. He's going to be a huge improvement. Um, but you know, who's even really gotten on campus that's overly impressive or that they have a great shot at. Um, it's not to say that he can't recruit. It's just to say that, you know, from what we've seen so far, I don't, I'm not taking Randy Clements and putting him in that ACE recruiter role status, whatever. I think that was a, that was a Sinone-esque finish there, Josh. Sorry, Chris, go ahead. I, I think with Randy, um, I'm not going to argue Josh's point or agree with it. I'm kind of waiting and letting it play out. I think a big thing is there's a lack of continuity of relationships on the offensive line for FSU. And that causes some issues. I also think Randy Clement to FSU's primary recruiting area is sort of a unknown. And I don't think that helps. He's not familiar. You know, there's plenty of O-line coaches that change jobs, but if you're going from Georgia, Auburn or 
you know, Clemson, uh, UCF, you know, those type of things, there's still some continuity with the area recruiting. Randy was such a Texas centric guy in those Midlands areas that those aren't hotbeds for FSU. And I think that that has made it difficult when he's pursuing maybe a South Florida kid mm-hmm. or a Georgia kid, just because he's not, he's done plenty of good things in his career. And I'm just not convinced that kids in those areas are super familiar with what he's done. I think that causes some issues. But I, I think those points are fair, but, but it's not just Clements though, too. I mean, this was with Greg Fry who had <laughs> ties to the Florida area and they ended up getting some nice guys in the class, but, but they also had to keep shifting their board over and over again before they got to signing day. Like it wasn't well, like they were picking uh, well, who they wanted. Uh, with, that, with him a there lot either. of that was due to the miscalculation of the season. I mean, they went into the season thinking Evan Neal and the kid out of Louisiana were going to be their two targets and that they would land one of the two. And the decision by the staff was made to kind of just recruit those two. And it showed in November, December, January when they were in a full scramble because they didn't have any relationships. So I think that was the function of a overall strategy slash miscalculation on the season. Um, You know, but Randy coming in and, and really not making an impact, whether even if, you know, hey, great, bring in Texas kids. I don't think FSU fans care where these kids are coming from, if they can block. Um, and the one Texas kid that we thought was going to come in for an official visit canceled in the 11th hour. Um, and usually, generally speaking, when a kid cancels right before the visit, it means you don't have the greatest relationship with them. We saw a lot of that down the stretch in January. Um, when you have great relationships, surprises, miscalculations, things like that don't really occur as often. And it seems like that's what's happening. And, Chris made a lot of great thing, a lot of great points that I agree with with Randy Clements. That you know the relationships in his areas and all that kind of stuff. Well, okay, but the overall picture is this offensive line isn't getting better, and they're not getting better anytime soon. Um, we didn't, and it wasn't Randy's fault. We didn't see FSU really do anything to address immediate needs for this season on the offensive line throughout the last mm-hmm. offseason. And now we're seeing, you know, another offseason of of slow um, offensive line recruiting and the excuses are there and they're valid. But this is a very important position to recruit. <laughs> it, and there, there yeah, are some. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say it's also a results thing. FSC's offensive line production from an NFL standpoint hasn't been particularly great in the last couple of years since that national championship group moved on. And then from a recruiting standpoint, you get a big timer, you get somebody that is nationally known at the position because of camp circuit and stuff like that. It makes other guys find it more appealing to some degree. And FSU's kind of not had one of those types. For example, I'm talking like a, you know, well, hell he's number one at the position, but a guy like Paris Johnson, Ohio state gets him. Other guys want to play around him on the offensive line in that group. You know, Zane's a great recruiter. Zane works his butt off. Zane's got a great personality. He's a guy who's probably going to be very good because he he has the right mix of personality traits. But I don't think if a kid doesn't know Zane that they're attracted to playing with Zane. Like if they get to know Zane, Zane, Zane's appeal is more regional, right? Like he's more someone who's known in this area, not right national. Or or if you get to know, you know, I think him and Tate, even though Tate went to Auburn, I think him and Tate had a great relationship. You know, I think he's a guy that if you get to know him, you like him. I know I like him, and I've gotten to know him some. My point is more so there. There's some guys that when they commit, 
the the random O lineman from across the country is pretty damn talented, so I only retweets it because it draws his interest. FSU's not had one of those types in several years. The O line is kind of a self fulfilling prophecy. If you can get the ball rolling, you can sometimes get a lot at a short period of time. FSU hasn't gotten the ball rolling on offensive line recruiting in several years. And I think, well, I think FSU, to Josh's point earlier, like they did scramble in this past class. And, and Dante Lucas, you know, is someone that they got early and someone who I think we all think has a chance to contribute, if not possibly become a starter this year on the offensive line. And I actually like Ira Henry and, and Darius Washington, what they ended up having to scramble to get those guys late. And I think that was pretty good given the, the circumstances. But yeah, the, the the lack of a true identified blue chip, this is a guy that's going to be the anchor definitively. You know, we know how we're going to use him. We know what his trajectory is as much as you can for the offensive line because it's such a tough position to evaluate even at the NFL level. Uh, nonetheless, high school where you're trying to see how kids are going to develop as they become, you know, go from 18 years old to, to 22 years old. But right now there, there's not a lot of clarity on that position group and it's just been perplexing to me. And and, and the defensive line is kind of similar, too, uh, with defensive end. You guys both said that there's not that surefire guy to replace Brian Burns on the roster right now, it looks like. And, and there doesn't seem like there's that guy currently that FSU is, is really trending strongly for right now. It, it's just those those two positions have have confused me a little bit. Um, Josh, I had one more thing, mm-hmm. and I wanted to – well, this is where I thought you were going when you were talking about the has and has nots in the in the first segment, uh, the haves and have nots. Um I'm going to read down the message board and just the, the most recent topics that were posted. This is just an order. I'm not, I'm not picking and choosing. This is at 8.57 a.m. as we record this on Monday morning. First topic, what does Coach Pimp do exactly? Next topic, recruiting in the summer. Next topic, Willie is not elite. Next topic, running to Miami. It's all good. I'll take Robinson anyways. Next topic, I think it's time for a head coach hot board. So... Mm. So uh, reality setting in. remember when I said, that's all it is. When I said all this stuff back in March, it was early. I was saying what was going to happen. People, people got upset with me. Um, I was saying bad things about their favorite team at the time. But now what you're seeing is fans, you know, that reality sinking in and it's frustrating because they are fans. So they have no control over it. And the season's not starting for a while. So um, this is pretty natural. We're, we kind of moderate the boards. I don't think anybody's going over the top. I mean, they're they're mad. They're frustrated. The, they have not seen a lot of people, um, you know, kids that were in college eight, nine years ago and started following recruiting have never seen FSU like this before. So these are kind of uncharted territories for a lot of young FSU fans, at least. I agree that that all makes sense. I think we're seeing a harsh reality kind of setting in and, and that doesn't probably have a great chance to change until until August 31st, unless unless Saturday Live ends up being a huge, huge, huge coup for FSU. Chris, uh, what are your thoughts on just kind of the the general overall tone in the fan base right now? Is, is, is that what this is? Is we're seeing people kind of understanding like, oh, this is this is a reality check a little bit. FSU fans have never dealt with a team like last year that led to an off season like this. True. Unless, unless they're like not, not a lot of goals. You've never dealt with it. So, I mean, FSU needs to win games. If they win games, things will get better. If they lose games, well, holy shit, it ain't going to get any prettier. I'm saying overall, they need to win more than they lose this year. 
Do, do you think people are getting frustrated with us saying that August just needs to get here? Because I, that that's the only way this really gets remedied, I think, right now. I, they're five and seven. Like some, I don't know who wrote it. Kudos to them. They wrote it yesterday. I think it was in the writing thread, uh, or it was in somebody's thread. I think it might have been the hot board one. But they, they were talking about, you know, people need to understand the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation at FSU is a sub-500 football team over the last two seasons, and they were 5-7 and seven this past season. They didn't make a bowl game. They underwent a coaching change in the last 24 months. They're a program in transition, and there's a lot of very good power programs in the area that FSU competes with. They're at a disadvantage. I mean, they, they the only way the ship gets righted is it finds a way to win games. Florida looks a hell of a lot better this year, twelve months ago, from twelve months ago, because they won a lot of games last year. It's not some magic potion. Win football games, your program becomes more appealing. Lose football games, the program's winning games are more appealing than yours. It's a very simple formula. FSU needs momentum that will only come with winning football games. Yeah. They can't drum up that recruiting momentum that they did last year. That's what the coaching change kind of the benefit of the doubt gives you is that I don't want to call it fake recruiting momentum, but it is recruiting momentum. And and you saw both FSU and UF kind of capitalize on it. And then what was the difference? The season UF had a great season. They finished ahead of FSU in the recruiting rankings. FSU had a five and seven season and they barely make, you know, the top 20 in recruiting. So this year, though, the, the team and the staff doesn't have the ability to kind of use that bump as their recruiting pitch that we're the new staff in town and things are going to change. So that's why they're hurting. Yeah, FSU loses to Boise. It's probably a good idea for some people on our message board to destroy every electronic in their life. But, but, <laughs> but, but Chris isn't going to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say probably don't, uh, don't cancel your subscription either. Uh, no, just destroy your electronics. Take a few months off. <laughs> uh, that would be quite the uh, that would set up quite the tone for the rest of the season for sure. All right, guys, I think that's everything. We got anything else? Not today. Nope. Nope. This was good. This was fun. This was maybe healing for some people. Probably not though. All right. <laughs> for Chris Nee and Josh Newberg, this is Brendan Sinode for Knowles Twenty Four Sevens on the Bench Podcast. Eh, kind of mildly sticking to landing. <laughs>